What's up, everybody? Welcome to the No Picks After Dark podcast with your host, Aaron Dante, who brings you the hottest interviews with the dopest people sharing their experiences all across the world. Now, here's your host, Aaron Dante! Welcome to the No Picks After Dark podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Dante. Again, we already dropped one episode this week. We're going to drop two just for the, the you, the listeners. This is my thank you to you that are listening out there every day that just come out and say, hey, we support you. So this episode, one came out on Monday. This is the second one. I can't wait for you guys to listen. Pipe Wrench is a new online magazine. You'll find links to conversation pieces, playlists, essays, poems, and more by folks from all walks of life responding to the ideas of the main feature. Each issue is like a dinner party full of thoughtful, fascinating people inspiring each other to build on each other's work references and ideas you can read more from pipe wrench and subscribe online at www.pipewrenchmag.com i bring you greetings from the purple charm experience podcast and i am your host jamara e fleming but you can call me my i'm a romance author motivational blogger and creative that on my podcast i share information that is valuable content that is meant to motivate, aspire, and inspire you. And today I want to share with you a, a wonderful quote by Dabo Sweeney. And he says, To be an overachiever, you have to be an overbeliever. Let's think about that for a second. When I think about being an overachiever, I must be an overbeliever. It starts with my mindset and having a weak mind affects my ability to achieve. And so a lot of times we talk about the things of, you know, I'm a big believer in the law of attraction and manifestation and also aligning my mind with the things that I want and need in life. And being able to do so allows me to be able to achieve a lot of the things that I'm going after. And I think when we have weak mindsets, we can't get there. It's always an obstacle keeping us from that next level. So my my message to you today is allow your mind to be open. Allow yourself to be a believer, a strong believer, so that you may overachieve. If you like this quote, please join me on my podcast and take a listen to me each week on Wednesday when I drop a new episode. I'd love to have you. And if you want to learn more about me, please check out my website, www.creativecalfare.com. Thank you so much, Aaron. Back to you. At Fishnet, every plate served starts with the freshest, high quality fish. Source from local waters whenever possible. You get fine dining excellence delivered in a cozy, unpretentious, fast casual setting. Delicious does not even begin to describe it. Everything I've tried is made from scratch and incredible. The best fish I've ever had. Check them out for lunch or dinner at Mount Vernon Marketplace. Get caught in the fishnet. You'll be glad you did. Menu and details at eatfishnet.com. Hey, everybody, professional life coach, business coach, mindset coach, and the host of the amazing 
podcast in the world, C Plan Do Show, here with your words of wisdom. Let's talk love languages. Love languages is the language on how you want to be loved. So if you are looking to date, if you are out here, not only just for dating, but guess what? Love languages help you understand how you want to be loved. There's words of affirmation. There's gift giving. There is acts of service. There's quality time. Those are just a couple of the ones. So if you do not know what your love language is, I highly suggest that you go to go online and Google love languages. Dr. Gary Chapman, of course, all Gary's are amazing, but Dr. Gary, Gary Chapman breaks it down. I want you to go ahead and take that test and come back and let us know what your primary love language is. You need it. And it, it's not just for dating. It's for any type of relationship. Guess what? Mine's is acts of service. I like people to put in. So if you don't know what it is today, your challenge is to go ahead and Make sure you know what yours are so that way people can love you the way you want to be loved. All right, that is your words of wisdom. Hey, I'm Gary O'Neill. You can follow me on all social media platforms at Life Coach Gary O'Neill Jr., as well as check out my podcast, The C Plan Do Show, on all streaming platforms. Take it away, Aaron. The No Picks After Dark podcast is proudly partnered with Remix Bar and Grill, located at 819 East Pratt Street, just north of Harbor East. Remix is a sports bar offering a sole food menu. With over 20 TVs, pool tables, outdoor patio seating, and private rooms, Remix is set up to be your premier downtown destination to watch all your favorite sporting events. Open from 11 a.m. until 11 p.m. Monday through Thursday, 11 a.m. to 12 a.m. Friday and Saturday, and 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. Sunday. Check out Remix Bar and Grill on Instagram and Facebook under at RY. MKS Baltimore for daily happy hour specials and weekly events. Remix Baltimore. Hey, this is Laurel with Minor Confessions. I'm back this week. Uh, Aaron is on vacation. He's hanging out with his family and getting ready to go back into the office. And so I have a guest host here with me for Minor Confessions for the next few episodes at the very least. Judd Walker, who is a former Baltimorean, now lives in Ohio. Welcome, Jed. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks for um, doing this with me. I think I, I um, just told you that, you know, the best part of this is having somebody to talk to about it. And, um, you know, if there is a person who is good at repartee, it is Jed Walker. So, And talking about people's confessions ranks high on my list of things to talk about. And I love to talk. So I'm excited. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> um, okay, so I got a lot of confessions today about um, working, like, uh, and working or not working. Um, yeah. Yeah. So find um, me, find me a person who doesn't have a confession about not working when yeah. they're working, and yeah, yeah, and I'll find <laughs> you another liar somewhere else. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know who it is though that that can't do that is like um, people who work in service like service oh, stuff they yeah. like you know they have yeah. they have to do they it to. i, yep. I yep. do have a, a regular commenter who's always like yeah try to do this in in the service industry and i'm like yeah no you cannot there's no budget in there you're if right. you're either doing work or you're not doing work and if you're not doing work people know right away <laughs> <That's>, yeah <laughs> right. okay okay <laughs> yeah. Noted. Yeah. yeah but i would say like office related work yeah yeah i think you're totally correct yeah <laughs> right. yeah yeah 
Um, okay, so some of these are, I'm just going to read them all and we can go through them. Um, okay. I've been starting the work day with a half hour of reading. Um, I Dang. haven't actually done any work for my job in like three weeks. Um, I underestimated a CBD and THC tincture and accidentally got high before a meeting. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. <laughs> um, I lied to my boss about a pipe bursting in my house this week because I wanted to sleep in. <laughs> um, that's, and... so, that's so like, that's so good because it's like, they'll never, they'll never, they'll never yeah. be coming because of that. One of my coworkers and I used to joke about having diarrhea because like nobody will stop you. If you're like, <laughs> like, I just have diarrhea. Yeah. There's not a boss in the world that's going to be like, well, you must stay. Right. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's like, because yeah. if you're willing to throw it out there like that, then <laughs> yeah. no one's going to question it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It's like yeah. the shortest way to have the conversation. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, once, once in high school, this is not related to work, but along those lines is that once in high school, like I used, I had a, a class that was like, um, always right after lunch. And so I would yeah. drop my bag in the classroom and then go to the bathroom and come back. And yeah. my teacher one day was like, you always do this. Where are you going? Like, why don't you just, why don't you just stay? And I was like, I'm going to the bathroom. And he's like, why do you have to go to the bathroom between my no, class? No, and I was like, yeah. You know, he was he was like 27 and thought he was hot stuff. And um, yeah. I was like, listen, I have my period. If I don't oh, take yeah. out my tampon, I'm going to get toxic stock syndrome. Like, I just like went yeah. for it. And he was yeah. like, yeah. OK, OK. And he okay. never questioned it again. You know, and was... <laughs> that Laurel 80 is why you were the fucking prom queen. That's why. <laughs> oh. People respected that. Oh, sorry. Yes, yeah. that's a that's a minor confession for another time. But yes, homecoming queen. Oh, homecoming, yeah. right? My yeah, yeah. <laughs> People know leadership when they see it, you know. Um, yeah, but like, but right, like, I mean, who doesn't have an excuse like that? Like, like a like a like they said a thing because they didn't want to come in. Cool. Thanks, Jed. Thank you. Visit your neighborhood sanctuary and do wellness for a luxurious experience for everybody. Treat yourself and a loved one with a massage, facial, or an entire day of pampering with our deluxe spa day packages that include lunch from the restaurant next door, fire and rice. For more information on booking or purchasing gift cards, visit their website at indowellness.com or call at 443-438-4048. They look forward to welcoming you and your loved ones to their beautiful new space at Soha Union, located at 4801 Harford Road, Suite 1. Welcome to the No Picks After Dark podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Dante. Today, we have a very, very special guest. I mean, this guy right here, his fingerprints are all over this Baltimore city right now. You know, you look up in my neighborhood, you see this beautiful work that's been done. People can sit outside. I feel like I'm in Europe right now when I go outside and eat my lunch or dinner or whatnot. So without further ado, Mr. Graham Carell Allen, how are you, Corley Allen? How are you on today? I'm doing pretty good. How are you, Dante? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good, man. I'm happy that you're on a No Picks Out Dark show. Welcome. Thank you. It's a real pleasure to be here. I, I appreciated the uh, invitation to participate. It means a lot to me, Aaron. Cool, cool. But yeah, that... that yeah. Yep, I, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day. I know we were just in Zeke's Coffee, and the guys are like, this is the hardest working guy in the city, the busiest guy in the city. So, I'm keeping busy, all right. <laughs> so, 
tell the audience a little bit about you. I mean, you know, I, we spoke pre-spoke, but give us a little quick. Are you from Baltimore? Are, you know, are you originally from here? Or where are you from? Uh, not originally from Baltimore. I was born in Galveston, Texas, uh, and lived there as a small kid uh, until my mom moved us to uh, Tampa, Florida, where I graduated high school. Uh, later, uh, I started off college in New Orleans at Tulane, studied architecture, um, which was my way of sort of thinking about how I could take my interest in being an artist and doing it, you know, in the uh, urban environment. Uh, I later moved back to Florida to finish up school um, at a place called New College, which is in Sarasota. It's a small state school. I did fun outdoor art projects there and studied sociology and urban planning. Uh, but eventually, you know, my art mentor said, if I wanted to do it as an artist, I needed to live in New York City. So I moved to New York, worked my butt off, was doing art on the side, and then figured, hey, I wonder if I could teach art. Let me get a master's degree. So I applied to a bunch of schools, and I feel very lucky that uh, I got into Maryland Institute College of Art, now my alma mater, where I completed an MFA at the Mount Royal College of Art. And so that is ultimately what brought me to Baltimore in the year 2008. Wow. That's a lot. There's a lot going on. So I guess, you know, you moved around and whatnot. What is your, one of your favorite childhood memories growing up? Like just growing up, just anything particular? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think probably my favorite thing to do as a kid was to walk or ride my bicycle to a local park called River Hills. And as you might expect, it's right next to a big, gorgeous river in Tampa. It's called the Hillsborough River. And I used to explore all these back trails and find things like arrowheads and all sorts of stuff. And it really gave me an appreciation for the natural environment and the history of the place. At the same time, I could also ride my bike another half mile farther and make it to the strip mall because, uh, you know, we lived out in the suburbs, a place called Temple Terrace, Florida. And, um, and honestly, believe it or not, my favorite thing was to actually go behind the strip mall to the loading dock area because that's where the dumpsters were. And there were always these kind of just cool leftover, you know, things from the retail shops, you know, like racks and all sorts of interesting materials. And so that always uh, felt like kind of a cool place to check out. That's cool. So at a young age, you were like looking at things, kind of, kind of trying to construct things. And did you, were you always into like building things? Like, um, like for me, it sounds trivial. It's funny, but I was growing up with Lincoln Logs and I used to love building those. I used to love doing Lego cities and towns and castles. Um, on a higher level, I know friends who like to build, when the high school, build computers and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Were you ever into that growing up? For sure. Um, definitely played a lot of Legos when I was a kid. Uh, handed those off to my brother, and eventually those made their way to another kid in the neighborhood. But um, as I got a little bit older, especially in middle school uh, it, and into high school, honestly, the number one thing I did outside of school, out beyond art, was playing SimCity. I played mm -hmm. SimCity, SimCity 2000, SimCity 3000. I used to upload my cities to you know the early internet, <laughs> get it rated by other nerds, uh, and it was a lot of fun. Wow, wow! That, that I, I remember that. I definitely remember that. That that that, that was fun. I do remember SimCity. I do remember that. So, you know, now you're here in Baltimore. You know, and you came to study your grad school for Micah, correct? Yes. And, and you were in like was you were like was art a background or was it kind of like something that was like it was there but you like doing like project management stuff like that like how were you how did it all work with you? Uh, well. When I was in New York, um, you know, I kind of built off of a little bit of experience I had managing a bike shop in Florida. 
Um, and also the fact that I had a couple years of architecture school under my belt. Um, and that enabled me to get a job as an assistant project manager at an architecture hardware manufacturer. So we made doorknobs and hinges, and I managed the sales and production of them under a senior project manager. Uh, and it was really cool. I got to see a lot of rad spaces around New York City and gained an appreciation for what some consider to be the jewelry of your home. Uh, and um, so, you know, I also got a taste for business and logistics and, you know, how you get things to a project site on time, reading, you know, blueprints and detail and so forth. But I always wanted to be an artist. That was always my goal. And I figured, well, if I could teach that at least uh, my full-time work would be related to art. And so in order to teach at the college level, you have to get a master's degree. And that's, you know, why I pursued my work at MICA, which was a continuation of my interest in trying to sort of integrate um, creating sculptures, but in the urban environment. Because for me, it was really important, and it still is, that art be accessible to all people. And, you know, not everyone goes to a museum or an art gallery, uh, but having something in their neighborhood or something on their street is something that they can experience, you know, without some of the, you know, uh, preconceptions uh, of what art should or shouldn't be. Mm, mm, I like that. I like that. So, you know, we're here in Baltimore, and when do you start, when did you realize, like, I know what I'm doing, I want to work for myself, like, I want to be my own boss, like, when did you start feeling that? Uh, well, that's always been the goal. I, honestly, the, when I was in grad school, I thought I was going to teach. And, um, <laughs> and that was sort of the goal was, all right, uh, I was going to show a bunch of work and galleries and alternative spaces, maybe get into some museums. And my hope was I could build up enough success with my art career that I would get some teaching positions. And so after grad school, you know, um, I actually didn't do that uh, because I got a full-time job at Charm City Cakes. I started managing that company uh, when Mary Alice, who uh, was one of the main figures on the reality television show Ace of Cakes, along with Duff and Jeff, you know, she stepped over into the marketing director role. So I got to manage operations. And it was really cool. It was project management. I got to design weird cakes and fancy cakes. I learned all about cake decorating from these amazing cake artists. Uh, you know, Duff made me laugh my ass off. Uh, and it was a really fun vibe. Um, you know, uh, but eventually I, I did want to refocus back into our teaching. So I moved on into adjuncting, which uh, for those who aren't familiar, that's basically where you teach one or two classes, but it's not a full time job. Um, and I learned that, you know, it's a lot of hard work, ton of respect to all the adjuncts out there. <laughs> um, they don't make a lot of money. Mm. It is not a high paying job. Uh, and I will say, you know, that unfortunately we don't have an even pay across the different schools in this town. Johns Hopkins pays the most, then it's Towson, and then it's other schools. Uh, so we've got a lot to go in terms of uh, improving adjunct pay, especially at our world-class um, art and design schools. Uh, and, um, you know, but as I was adjuncting and teaching part-time design at Johns Hopkins, um, I was also doing more of my public work on the side. I was doing interactive installations at things like Artscape. I was also leading creative walking tours of different Baltimore neighborhoods and places beyond. Uh, and I was earning money on that. Um, I also started getting more and more into arts advocacy and uh, was part of an initiative in 2016 to encourage more people to, uh, to vote and to advocate for the needs of arts and cultural producers. We called that Citizen Artist Baltimore. And we got arts 
onto the minds and into the dialogue of the mayoral candidates that that year. Um, I'm really pr proud of that work, and I was fortunate enough to you know be able to get paid to do that through grants. Uh, I got got to the point though around 2016 where I was getting really really busy, and I kind of looked at it and I was like, I don't want to give up any of this art stuff. I don't want to stop doing the advocacy. What needs to give here? And I thought, all right, well, I think I need to give up the teaching and uh, see if I can actually max out the rest of my passions to a full-time thing working for myself. So I had founded my company, Grand Projects LLC, earlier in 2016. And, um, and then by the summer of 2016, I had saved up enough money. I knew that I was good for at least five months. I had money in the bank to last me five months. And I quit my job at Johns Hopkins, uh, which was tough for sure because it was, you know, a, they paid a really good wage. Um, but uh, I'm very thankful ever since then. It just has kept on snowballing and I have project after project stack up. And now I'm booked up, you know, over a year in advance. So let's go back into the entrepreneur part where you, where you said, so a lot of entrepreneurs out there are like, hey, I want to do it. I want to I take that leap. What was that turning? I mean, you said something had to go. Take us through that decision of like, I'm about to leave this great job, great pay, and I'm taking a leap of faith. What was that thought? You know, you said you had five months of, of rent saved up. But what was like, what, were you nervous? Were you sweating it? Like, did you have things lined up? Did you have a backup plan if it didn't, if, if it didn't work out? Like, what was your thought behind all that? Uh, I didn't have um, a backup source of income. You know, my, I was just... Uh, kind of imagining that uh, if I had more time to put um, energy into my business, that I would be able to get more business. Because I realized that as much energy as I was putting, um, you know, kind of in off hours at night and on the weekends into my work, it was beginning to pay back and keep me going. So it was definitely a risk. You know, I did the cost projection, which was like, okay, I think I can swing five months. I figured if I went broke after five months, yeah, you bet you I would be out there pounding the pavement again with my resume. And I've worked a ton of different jobs from, you know, bar backing to construction to, you know, as I said, you know, fixing bikes and project management. So, uh, you know, I, I have no qualms about falling back on any of those things to to make a living. Uh, uh, but I'm thankful that uh, the art projects just keep on coming. And for the most part, it's all through word of mouth. You know, I'm getting invited into places all over the city and beyond, uh, you know, all over the country now as well. Um, so I'm extremely thankful for that. And uh and so much of it has to do with, um, I would say, just the genuine connections that you can build up when you're working in community in a place like Baltimore. Baltimore is so, uh, I want to say, you know, genuine and friendly. One of the first things I learned when I moved here in 2008 was that when you see someone on the sidewalk and you don't even know them, uh, they might say, how you doing? First couple times that happened to me, I would turn back and say, oh, I'm doing all right. And, and I would start talking and then they would just keep on walking. And I realized, oh, well, that's. That's not so much a conversation. It's more like a salutation and it's an acknowledgement of our humanity, right? It's like, hey, man, I acknowledge you. Here's some respect. Good to see you, neighbor. And, um, and I love that vibe because uh, as I continue to you know, collaborate with people, it's always been um, a really fun and exciting thing to learn about what they do. And then later on, all of a sudden, it's like they reach out to me or they have an idea or they, they recommend me to someone else. And they're like, hey, this guy can do this thing. Like, or you should talk to so-and-so. And, and we start building up these networks of like helping each other out. And all of a sudden, you know, we've got a bunch of small business owners who are kind of doing it together. 
Put on your party hat and join dozens of your friends, neighbors at Live Baltimore's Birthday Bash on July 30th. Tickets to the hottest party of the summer are on sale now. Enjoy an open bar, light fair, live entertainment, birthday treats, and many birthday surprises. Get tickets at birthdaybash2021.eventbrite.com. I love hearing that because I've heard that from other entrepreneurs. They're like, I had to focus on one thing. If I put my effort into what I'm doing now, I know it'll pay off. So I've been hearing a lot about that. So thank you about that. Let's talk about the pandemic comes around. Okay. And this is how I found out who you were during this time process. So I'm skipping around a little bit. How did all this happen with this, all the streetscapes? Like, I mean, I know there's a different word. There's a real word for it, but I call it streetscape, my words. But where did this come from? Help us, like, the audience, because, I mean, I will show pictures on my site, and I'll have links on the web, on my website, on Instagram when this comes out. But what you're doing right now is simply amazing. How did it take, take us through the steps of process of, like, how you've made Baltimore feel like Europe right now. Okay. Uh, well, so when you say streetscape, and that's that's a great dis- way to describe it, okay. um, we're talking about um, these these kind of urban design uh, features now that exist on the 47 and the 4800 blocks of Hartford Road. Right. For those folks who've driven around here or walked around here or take the bus, you may have noticed that um, all of a sudden there's places you can sit outside. We have colorful crosswalks. We've got planters. We've got these sort of barriers that protect pedestrians so that they can hang out in front of businesses. Uh, but the barriers look cool, right? It's artwork. Um, so all of that is uh, is in response to a program called Design for Distancing, which um, was a tactical urban design initiative from the Baltimore Development Corporation and Neighborhood Design Center. And basically, after the pandemic, um, the federal government passed the CARES Act. Some of that money was to help small businesses reopen safely amidst the pandemic. And uh, Baltimore applied for and got some of that money, and they distributed it out to the Main Street organizations across the city. Um, So here in Harford, uh, or here on Harford Road in the Hamilton Lauraville Main Street area, I was invited in by some folks that I know, you know, with Property Consulting Incorporated to kind of uh, help come up with a design and figure out how to build all these sort of outdoor features so that the small businesses along this corridor could um, operate with some outdoor, you know, areas in a way where pedestrians and residents could still, you know, observe social distancing and so forth. Uh, so um, that was kind of how the opportunity arose. We put in an application. Uh, it was approved. Um, we got some money, and my company is a design-build firm. So that means that uh, you know we start off with community engagement. So we met with all these merchants and residents, and we asked them, "Hey, what do you need?" You know, it was signage saying, "Hey, there's more parking out back." It was outdoor seating. It was shade. It was things like benches and bike racks. It was um, colorful crosswalks and wayfinding. Uh, we were already in collaboration with a local fabricator, Kyle Lanning Smith of Lanning Smith. He's down in Arcadia, as well as local artist Annie Howe, who's been on this show. Um, so we had a lot of trust already built in there, which was really helpful for me since I live on the west side. I hadn't met with these folks before, and that's how I operate as an artist. I look for those introductions where you can build trust so that people say, hey, this guy's you know, I got this guy's back, like you could trust him so I can come in and then listen to people, come up with some designs based on what they need, share back to them, ask if, you know, they have any more input, they give some feedback, we kind of fix it up and make it perfect. And then uh, we get approval from the city. And then we go into construction. So permitting, 
uh, procurement, which means buying all these materials, fabrication. So landing Smith's shop, building all these cool, you know, outdoor benches and partitions and so forth. And then my crew installing the street art. Wow. I mean, I'm, I'm telling people like we have people listening from all over New York, L.A., you know, D.C. And I've had a couple of friends come from out of town and they were like, wow, what a facelift. Like they are blown away with the Hartford corridor right now. Um, I can tell you we had a Hartford happy hour um, about a month or two ago and people were raving about it. I mean, I've never it was such a beautiful sight to walk down the street and people are eating outside and, you know, socially distancing and all that stuff. And it just felt right. It felt like this is the new way and this is the way we should go about doing things. Because I just remember when I went to like Italy and I've been to France and I've, you know, if you see other countries, Spain, people are outside, they're sitting outside in the streets and they're eating and you're like, it's, no, it's not even a second thought, you know? And it's always interesting because when you have people who, the negatives, like, oh, that makes it look ugly. I, like, I don't like it. I want my cars. And I'm like, try it out. Just try something different. Like, you know, I know, a lot of us are, are trained in our eye to look at a certain way, for, but always open your eyes and see what can help the community out. And right now, I mean, it's a rainy day today, but when it's a sunny day outside, on this 4700 block, every seat is taken during lunchtime and dinner time. People are sitting outside in front of the restaurant. I mean, it's the show, store Tortuga, hanging out. You know, that's what it's all about, community. And what other areas in the city have you done this besides Hartford Road Corridor? Uh, I've worked in several places. Um, a couple years ago, uh, I worked with um, the Friends of Margaret Brent Elementary uh, in Live Baltimore to uh, create a set of art crosswalks that also helped to slow down cars and ultimately uh, beautify the neighborhood, but really make it safe for kids to walk to Margaret Brent Elementary on 26th Street. So we did these art crosswalks and um, what are called bump outs, which are sort of like low cost curb extensions. You'll see these on Harford Road, but basically, uh, you know, we work with the city to kind of do some line striping, uh, white lines, and then install these things called flex posts, which are like these little white plastic sticks. And um, it basically kind of uh, widens the amount of pedestrian space, opens up some sight lines and makes it more clear to drivers, you know, when pedestrians are ready to cross the street. And hopefully it helps to kind of change that culture of driving so that people will uh, obey the law, which is to yield to pedestrians and crosswalks. And um, it's really had an amazing effect. Uh, we see a lot more cars yielding to kids who are walking to elementary school. And we've had a ton of positive feedback on just the joyful colors and the symbols themselves, which were inspired by input from the children during drawing workshops that we held uh, during one of their field day events. Um, so that's one example. Uh, we just opened up a project uh, with uh, Reservoir Hill Community at Whitelock and uh, Brookfield uh, over, our, you know, close to where I live. Um, and that was a similar type of concept. Uh, we, we sort of extended the curbs around the intersection, which at that point only had one marked crosswalk. So we introduced uh, three other crosswalks that previously had not been marked. And, um, and we you know, made it safer for the people who ride the bus there, for folks who are waiting to catch, catch the bus. Um, now, uh, when they get off the bus or when they're approaching the bus, they have you know, more protected space for them to cross that street where cars had historically been speeding. Um, and then, you know, that artwork itself is called Seasonal Turn. It's sort of like a big swirl of uh, colors that represents, um, you know, the changing of the seasons and Whitelock Farm, which is right
right next to it. You know, so different plants that you might have throughout the year, but also the diversity of Reservoir Hill. And so it really tries to integrate both kind of the physical features of pedestrian safety, along with uh, the cultural features of it, of the neighborhood that's, you know, it's situated in. Now, with all this work you're doing right now, where you, you mentioned a little bit earlier, are you getting called for calls from out of state now? Are you getting calls from all around the United States and say, hey, we like what you're doing. Can you come here? And what's the feeling when you, when you get those phone calls? Uh, it's certainly exciting. And, um, you know, in my company, Grand Projects, we're expanding. We're also continuing to build on our partnerships with other companies. Uh, recently, you know, we forged a partnership over the last year, really, since the pandemic with a really amazing uh, women-led uh, landscape architecture firm called Enviro Collab, also based in Baltimore, actually. Right around here, the, the founding principal, Heidi Thomas, lives right here in Laurelville. Um, and uh, so it's, it's definitely very exciting. Uh, we're in conversation to do a possible project and consulting for a small town in Colorado that's trying to transform its main street into a more pedestrian environment. And, uh, and also, um, I'm talking with Arlington County uh, and, um, and other places. I just got back from Pittsburgh a month ago where we did a big alley mural for a community center there called the Oasis, which, um, you know, has like daycare and culinary training. Um, and that was a, a collaboration with uh, my friend Ianji, who's done a ton of really rad murals around Baltimore. People probably recognize. So um, it's always taken me to fun and new places, and I couldn't be more thankful. The No Picks After Dark podcast is fueled by Zeke's Coffee. Have you tried their coffee yet? I'm telling you, there is something different about it. Maybe it's because they roast their beans in a fluid coffee roaster, which provides the most accurate roasting temperatures and made with love. You will just have to check it out for yourself and try their delicious food while you're at it. Open now for curbside service, carryout, and delivery. And they also do wholesale. Visit Zeke's Coffee at 4719 Harper Road, Open Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Sunday, 8 to 5 p.m. Kitchen closes at 3 p.m. Or visit Zeke'sCoffee.com and you too can be fueled by Zeke's. If you just looking back, you know, you say you started, was it 2016, your, your, your company? Yes. And it's 2021. Do you think you were, did you know, or did you, did you think in your wildest dreams you'd be at this point right now? Uh, no, when I founded the company, um, I figured I was just going to be a sole proprietor. That it was just going to be sort of like a method for me to continue to do my work, but as a, an individual artist, I didn't. It, it never occurred to me at the time that I was going to be um, that I was going to have a team of you know half a dozen trained artist installers who get who I pay you know the above prevailing wages for their work right here in Baltimore City. I didn't realize that I was going to be hiring an amazing community engagement specialist, Melvin Jadulang, who lives in East Baltimore Midway. He's helping set up all these community meetings that we always start off with when we start developing projects. You know, I didn't realize that I was going to be collaborating with landscape architecture firms and construction companies and striping firms and, you know, big agencies like the Baltimore Development Corporation. So I think it's a real testament to the, the verve and um, the imagination of Baltimore to be be able to actually embrace these types of things. I mean, just think about it. We have uh, the BDC, which sounds like this kind of stodgy old business thing, right? But actually, you know, they're leveraging creative uh, forces across the city to help small businesses. Mm -hmm. And they're thinking outside of the box and they're doing it through what we call design thinking, which is that, that whole idea of, you know, asking people what they need 
coming up with some ideas, sharing it with them, getting their feedback, moving forward, prototyping, making some adjustments, going back out and fixing that. You know, it's always sort of an iterative thing. So you're always in constant communication. And, um, and really, uh, you know, it's helping to bring Baltimore back to its roots. Baltimore was historically a walking city. It was historically a transit city. It was streetcars everywhere, right? Mm. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, kind of the 1940s and the 1950s that they started blasting highways through, uh, uh, especially historically black and working class neighborhoods, really Red hurting, line. redlining, redlining yeah. you know, really hurting a lot of these amazing strong neighborhoods. And so now, you know, through this type of work that we do, which some of you could also call placemaking, streetscape work, um, we're helping to kind of reimagine these corridors and say, all right, well, instead of having this be 90% for cars, recognizing the fact that, you know, in, a, in most of these neighborhoods, half, if not more of residents actually don't drive. They take the bus, mm -hmm. they take the subway, they walk, they use a wheelchair, they ride mm -hmm. their bicycle to work, all right? And so how can we redesign these streets uh, to meet the needs of all people so that no matter how you get around, you know, if you are a mom, you know, dropping your kids off in your car at school, make that a safe experience so that you don't have people cutting you off and speeding, right? If you're taking the bus, making that safe and, and convenient for you. If you're a pedestrian, being able to have places just to hang out, you know, and enjoy something outside in front of a business without having to worry about cars flying by and careening off the road and maybe hitting you, right? Just being able to cross the street and have people respect you, you know, and yield to the fact that, you know, you're the vulnerable road user. That's kind of what it's all about, but doing it in a way that's reflective of Baltimore culture and doing it in a way that's beautiful and helps add to the neighborhood as well. I, I love it. I love it, man. I love what you're talking about here. So you talked about a little bit earlier about working with uh, mayor. So you taught, you work, I saw that you were on a project with the mayor, um, you and Jessica. Uh, Jess Solomon. Solomon. And you guys were on the project together and you guys had some recommendations coming out that group. Um, tell us a little bit about how you got involved with that from, from on that group. What was the thoughts? Like, what people groups, what arts groups did you guys all bring together? And what was some of the thoughts that came out of that that we hopefully might see be implemented down the road possibly? Sure. Um, well, uh, I, I definitely was a supporter uh, and inspired by Brandon Scott's campaign for mayor, I could tell that he, you know, he was really focused on equity. The fact that he passed, you know, the uh, the equity lens um, bill, so that you know, requiring all city agencies to, whenever they do policy, make sure that it meets uh, equitable standards. You know, that he did that in city council, and he also passed the Complete Streets Bill, which is this law that basically says, hey, streets got to meet the needs of all people, you know, including people who walk and take the bus, right, including people who rely on a bicycle or a scooter to get to work right and so i was very enthusiastic for his campaign i got to know him a little bit through that right just advocating i invited him into my neighborhood mondaman akantrali terrace and he could speak with my neighbors um and and i really started to trust the guy and understand his vision and the fact that he's he's listening to residents right and so um and i think in that process he also got to learn a little bit about me and that i'm doing art around the city and, uh, and I was really honored uh, when he put together these transition committees, you know, to help inform the priorities of his administration. Uh, he reached out to Jess and I to serve as co-chairs. So huge honor. Uh, massive thanks for that. And Jess and I were dead set on, um, you know, expanding the table, right? So, you know, so a lot of these uh, committees had maybe like 10 or 12 folks. We made our committee big. We had 30 people. So we had everywhere from, you know, the grass tops, the museums 
you know, the kind of things that you, you've seen show up at a lot of arts type uh, conversations, all the way down to the grassroots, you know. Uh, so, you know, folks from Cherry Hill, folks from Great Blacks and Wax, uh, folks from, you know, the Pennsylvania Avenue Arts District, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so really embracing what is truly Baltimore, uh, which is a black city. And so we got to make the arts look like Baltimore City in terms of how it's supported. And so um, we had 30 folks on the committee um, and in the process, and it was a very fast process. You know, the mayor set some, some intense deadlines. I mean, he's not, he's not messing around. He was like, we're gonna hit the ground running. So you need to talk to as many people as possible and then get me a report <laughs> by early January. Um, so we interviewed 48, 48 additional leaders across the city. So like actual conversations like you and I are having right now. And we also put out a bunch of surveys and we invited people to text us and uh, call us and leave voicemails with their ideas and their concerns and their, the things that they just love about the city. We got over 200 residents respond to that text and voicemail campaign. And so we took in all that input and that is ultimately what generated uh, the recommendations that we delivered to the mayor. He also had his own ideas in mind, you know? And so like, for example, what are we gonna do with those Confederate monument pedestals, right? Finishing that committee, figuring out how to, you know, acknowledge Baltimore's racist past while embracing a, a more inclusive future through art and culture, establishing an arts and cultural advisory board. So this would be kind of a, you know, a, a committee re representing uh, working artists and cultural producers and organizations that would advise, uh, be kind of like the, the thing that would advise across the city, everything that has to do with art and culture. So looking at the fact that, you know, Visit Baltimore uh, does hire uh, artists, you know, to help promote the city and to promote our culture. Bo Baltimore Office of Promotion in the Arts, our public art program, kind of coordinating all these things and holding all these institutions accountable and making sure that they're all kind of synced up and, you know, in the same mindset. Um, in addition, uh, we had some other fun ideas, you know, like we think that artists should be embedded throughout City Hall. We think that we should have... Um, uh, artists and residents in every city agency to bring in that creative thinking because sometimes you have agencies that historically may have not done a great job you know interacting with the community or maybe they're already doing a pretty good job of it but they haven't thought outside of the box and if you bring in a storyteller if you bring in a poet if you bring in an artist you know they may be able to communicate and connect with some communities and parts of the city that that agency has never been able to reach. And you wanna get their input to understand how are we gonna improve the parks? How are we gonna improve uh, you know, transportation or sanitation you know, or uh, public safety for that matter? Um, so we really think that bringing in that creative thinking with artists and residents would be hugely powerful we also building on his racial equity legislation. Uh, you know, the mayor's office does control the Creative Baltimore Fund, which is an appropriation of money that goes mm. to BOPA, and then BOPA distributes it in, in, by way of uh, individual and small organizational artist grants. Uh, and that goes back many years to St Stephanie Rawlings Blake era. Um, and the, you know, the amounts have kind of gone up and down. But um, I, you know, what we heard was that there's a real need to make sure that, that money is going out to the small um, artists and arts organizations that have been historically neglected. So we're talking about black and LGBTQI organizations. And these are like the organizations that don't even have a nonprofit status, right? That may not even have a fiscal sponsor. How can we infuse that money into what they are doing? Because they are the lifeblood of culture in this city. The No Picks After Dark podcast is proudly sponsored by 
Maggie's Farm. Located at 4341 Hartford Road, Maggie's Farm offers a unique dining experience with delicious handcrafted cocktails and mouth-awarding cuisine from falafel to scallops and everyone's favorite honey sriracha cauliflower wings. Open for dinner from 4 p.m. until 10 p.m. Wednesday through Saturday and serving brunch Saturday 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. and Sunday from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. with delectable chicken and waffles, shrimp and grits, biscuits and gravy and more. Check out Maggie's Farm on Instagram and Facebook for daily and weekly food specials as well. I love it. I love it. I love it. You guys didn't invite any podcasters. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking with you. I'm joking with you. But uh, that that is powerful because I, I really want to touch on that because that I found that fascinating that like the whole group I was following on Instagram and seeing what you guys are doing. I thought it was really, really fascinating. Like the the group, the people who was who are involved, and I it's always interesting because the arts always gets cuts first. It's always the first thing to get cut, and you know, unfortunately, like this year we don't have artscape. Can't do it this year, but I'm sure next year that's something that will be really bigger. And you know, you, again, there are so many different things out there that are neglected, like you said. It's true, and you know, unfortunately, uh, BOPA had to let go of a lot of staff during the pandemic, just like a lot of organizations did. They just mm-hmm. didn't have the revenue. They lost all their festivals, you know, and those are huge, um, you know, revenue streams from corporate sponsors and sales and so forth. Um, and so there, and, and this year also, you know, the city is being very careful about permitting large events. So um, they just don't have the capacity right now to put on things like Artscape, which is a huge loss because there's a countless artists that and performers that make good money in Artscape. They're setting up stalls and they're selling their works. They're performing on stages and they're getting paid to do that. And I know for myself, you know, I got to do a lot of installations on like the Charles Street Bridge where we set up 27 inflatable trees and we called it the Dancing Forest. <laughs> and people explored and learned about Baltimore City. You know, that was super fun. Um, and and I was I was really honored because I actually got paid, you know, a reasonable amount of money to do it. And I got to hire some artist assistants, you know, mm-hmm. to help put that money back out into the city. So that's not happening this year. AFRAM is happening, which yep. is good. That historically has not been produced by BOPA. That was always kind of uh, more on the city hall side. And that's going to be a hybrid, you know, uh, partially in-person, partially virtual festival. So uh, it's still a challenging time for cultural producers who don't have our regular venues for, for operating. Um, but I know the city and, you know, BOPA and uh, everyone else uh, that uh, that kind of has worked in the past around arts and culture is doing what they can to to kind of make what happened can happen. Do you think we'll have, what was it, Light City? Do you think it'll come back this winter? Not this year. Not this um, year. And, uh, yeah, I think it'll be curious to see how that goes. Last, uh, before the pandemic, they sort of combined Light City and the Book Festival yeah. um, into uh, – uh, into this sort of hybrid festival. And, um, and I think that could be an interesting model. Uh, you know, I had one of my most favorite art experiences doing a light city project in 2018. It was called Sunstomp, And, uh, we were given the opportunity to work in McKeldin square, which for those of you who've walked through it, it's a pretty big space. So I was like, all right, how do we make a big thing to deal with this big space and all these big high rises? And so we, we, we basically rented a ton of scaffolding and we constructed a 34 foot tall uh, projection screen that was flat on the front and sloped on the back. The backside that was sloped, we set up um, 16 
295 watt solar panels to create a solar powered installation called Sunstomp. And the goal was, uh, you know, these solar panels actually powered these beautiful neon lights that we wrapped the whole installation with, as well as a set of bleachers that we put LEDs underneath. So the whole bleachers glowed rainbow colors. <laughs> and when you sat or stepped or knocked on the bleachers, uh, it would create these different sound effects. So I'm sure if you've wow. been to like a ball game, you sit on the bleachers and it kind of makes like a, a pinging sound. Mm -hmm. So we put contact microphones under there. Oh, wow. I worked with this local video artist, you know, one of my favorite and uh, guys, Mark Brown and local um, energy engineer, Matt Weaver, on essentially designing this whole thing because I couldn't do it myself. <laughs> I didn't know anything about interactive technology, uh, but I could design some architecture, right? And so Mark figured out all the technical stuff. Matt figured out how to make it uh, solar powered. And then we had this huge interactive installation so that when you were knocking on the bleachers, you saw this huge tripodelic sun on the projector <laughs> screen and every time you made a sound that sun had an explosion of color uh and it was people just got it immediately and so and if they wanted to learn more they could come around back and see the whole solar powered system we made it totally legible we put labels everywhere mm. you know here's the solar panels here's the inverter here's the battery bank here's the multimedia controller you know so it was a way for people to not only experience and activate the public space through light and technology, but also learn more about the, the, the benefits of solar energy. Wow, that, that's dope. Would you say that is one of the coolest collaborations you've ever done? Oh, absolutely. I'm super proud of that. Um, if you go to sunstop.art, uh, you can check out pictures uh, and videos from that project. That's dope. That's really dope. All right, so you got through the hard part. Okay, now this is going to be the easy part. I call this the lightning round, okay? What artists that are alive would you would love to work with? Uh, right now, I would say that would be uh, Mel Chin. Mel Chin is a conceptual sculptor and uh, what we call a relational artist. So he kind of deals with social uh, interactions, um, but always in uh, with the aim of helping to empower people and address social concerns. So like one of the projects he did famously after Katrina in New Orleans is something called Operation Pater, where he realized, you know, he learned from locals about how um, you know, after the cleanup, they were still struggling with something that Baltimore also deals with, that is lead paint poisoning. Mm. So we have lead paint in our walls. We've got lead paint in our dirt, right? Mm -hmm. And that affects the minds of our children who are very susceptible to lead paint poisoning. Uh, and so he wanted to advocate for increased federal funding to essentially clean up these historically redlined black cities that are poisoned by, red, you know, lead paint. Uh, and he created the Funder Dollar Bill Project where they did these workshops all around the country and kids especially would draw uh, and color in their own um, Operation Pay Dirt uh, dollar bills. They collected stacks and stacks of these bills, you know, this sort of like symbolic money. And then they literally put it in um, a money truck, you know, like a Brinks, <laughs> Wells Fargo truck type thing, but it was art. And they drove it to Washington, D.C. And they showed up at the Capitol and they met with legislators and they said, look at this. We have $100 million in symbolic money that you need to make $100 plus million to address mm. these historical inequities so that kids can grow up in safe environments and achieve everything that they deserve to. Um, so he's a huge inspiration. I actually threw Micah. He was a visiting artist one time. I got to meet him and he's, he's from Houston, Texas. He sounds like, um, 
he basically sounds like Elvis meets Bill Clinton, uh, <laughs> but with kind of an artist vibe to him. Um, and he's just a riot. So he's really down to earth, approachable guy for a dude that's traveled the world and shown in every major museum. I, I love Mel Chin and I'd love to work with him. I love that. I love that. Brisket or ribs? Because I'm saying, I know you're from the, you used to live from the South or do you not eat meat, meat anymore? Um, I kind of go back and forth. <laughs> uh, you know, I've, I've, I've definitely had my fair share of meat and also my family uh, are Cajuns from Southern Louisiana. And right. so I've had a lot of different types of meat. Um, but I will say, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, brisket or ribs, I'm definitely a brisket fan, especially from the experiences I've had, particularly in Baltimore, my favorite type of brisket, which is actually corned beef <laughs> okay. at, from Atman's Deli in that kibitz room. Ooh. I got to say, I Ooh. love the corned beef sandwich and you know, it's worth a $13. So, you yes. know, that meal is going to last me all day. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Flaps or drums for chicken wings? Uh, I, I prefer the drums uh, for their ergonomic dipping, uh, but only if it's either from Ibar because they make that fresh blue cheese sauce. Next question. You knew it. You knew it was coming. I yeah. knew it because I heard, I heard your other episodes. <laughs> it's got to be blue cheese, but you can't have blue cheese out of the bag. It's got to be fresh made. Ibar. And then for me, runner up. Mm -hmm is two bird at our house. I've never had them. I've never had two bird. I, I've always, it goes by there, but I've never had it. I'm going to check it out. Super fresh chicken, well-fried, um, amazing sauces. Red hot, hot sauce, Old Bay hot sauce, or from Louisiana, crystal. You know it's got to be sauce. crystal. All right. <laughs> I mean, everyone in the South, you know, will have Tabasco around, but really, you know, you're, <laughs> You're in a household with some folks from Louisiana when you see that crystal. It's got to be crystal. And also, you know, you can't beat the price. So. <laughs> you know I had to say crystal. You know I had to put that in there. Um, what's your favorite thing to do when you're not working? Uh, my favorite thing to do is wander neighborhoods that I've never explored before. I just love walking around and taking pictures and kind of, uh, uh, you know, getting a sense of, you know, how people are doing it in other places, you know, even out into the suburbs or, you know, other counties in Maryland, uh, Eastern Shore, you name it. Um, I'm also a huge fan of just exploring my own backyard, which is Druid Hill Park, because I, I have the great fortune of living on Ockentrolley Terrace. Nice. Um, and I love exploring the park. It never gets old for me. Uh, and so there's so much history there. There's so many plants. There's so much wildlife. And there's so many neat people to, to kind of get to know. Nice, nice. What is the best advice you've ever received? Um, I would say that uh, that probably came from, and I can't say this is my best advice because I had a lot of different uh, great words of advice, but the one that really sticks to me uh, came from my high school photography teacher. I went to an arts high school, uh, Magnet Arts, kind of like School for the Arts, but in Tampa. Um, and uh, my, my photo teacher, Miss Galgani, who still works at Blake High School. Wow. Go Yellow Jackets. <laughs> she said, she told us, listen, it doesn't matter what you have. You can make art in your own backyard with nothing. You can make art no matter what you have. It's a mindset. It's an approach. And so that's always stuck with me. No matter what you have, you can make something creative and, and really, you know, um, explore something out of nothing and learn about yourself and learn about your world. I love it. I love it. Where can we find you on social media? Are you TikToking all your stuff now? I mean, that's, what they do. That's, what they do. that's that's a new thing now. I mean, I, I'm try, I did TikTok and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. But uh, what social media? Where can we find you? Where can we email you? Where can we find you? So uh, I'm across all social media platforms at Graham Projects. So that's like Honey Graham, G R A H A M Projects, P R O J E C T S. 
grand projects. Um, you know, I kind of talk about stuff on Twitter, uh, and I post all my, my art projects on Instagram. I, I document the process through my Instagram stories. I just joined TikTok, so <laughs> please do not look at my TikTok because there's no good content there yet. I'm just observing the scene and learning how all of you amazing TikTok creators are out there performing. Super inspired by it. I love the dances. I got to figure out how to do some two steps while I'm installing these crosswalk murals. I'll tell you what, man. I TikTok is one of the few places I will tell you that I've learned a lot from different avenues. It's whatever you want, it's there for you. Like there's legal help where a lawyer's like, this is this, this is like, and it's interesting to see like developers like this. One guy was like, I'm a developer. I built my own bar in my basement. Let me show you how I did this. And he did like a whole phase of TikTok stories. And I was like, wow. So it's very interesting how people are communicating in a different way now. So Absolutely. And I'm really impressed also just with the level of engagement on that platform. Uh, and in general, though, I got to say, the number one thing for me, I'm still kind of old school. If you want to do a project together, you can reach out to me over social media and we will connect for sure. Um, but if you uh, <laughs> want to really get moving, email me. Okay, go. Graham, G-R-A-H-A-M at grandprojects.com. That's my email. My website is grandprojects.com. You can see all the examples of my work and my collaborators and get a sense of how we do it. Uh, and I'm always open to new ideas and opportunities. Thank you so much for coming on No Pixar Dark Podcast. This has been a wonderful experience. Folks, he dropped jewels, gems, and he took us to church about education, about what's going on in Baltimore and what he's doing and all the great things. So thank you so much for coming over from the west side to the east side, northeast side, and hanging out with us on the Hartford Road Corridor. All right. Anything else you want to say before we head out? No, I just want to say thank you very much, Aaron. You, what you are creating just with this amazing podcast is in and of, its, in and of itself a huge, huge contribution to the cultural scene and our collective history as Baltimore City. Yeah, I appreciate it, brother. I'm just trying to have the voices unheard be out there. That's all I'm trying to do. And, you know, because a lot of people have great stories. We just don't always hear them. Absolutely. All right, folks, love, peace, and happiness. We're out. That's it.